0: Welcome to the Rerooted Podcast with Francesca Maxime, trauma-sensitive mindfulness meditation teacher and poet. Together, we'll take a closer look at approaches to transforming trauma with insights from psychology, neuroscience, spirituality, social justice, and the creative arts. Join Francesca and her guests for an exploration of our shared connection and how we can cultivate greater compassion for ourselves and for others. If you'd like to support Francesca and the Rerouted Podcast, please visit BeHereNowNetwork.com forward slash Francesca. Hey, everyone. I'm Francesca May, And thanks so much for joining us for this edition of the Rerouted Podcast here on Ram Dass' Be Here Now Network. Again, just reminding us to reroot into our own deepest, truest selves and also really inviting in um, sort of an invitation and curiosity Uh, with lots of friendliness around, um, well, what are our roots and what are our roots about and how did they come to be? And how are we rooted and tethered to the earth, of the earth, from the earth? How could we not be um, made of stardust like everything else? As well as how are we on the earth and how did we come to be on the earth? What are the things that conditioned us and made us sort of come into the place of, of who and how we are in the world. You could call this conditioning. You could call this personality. You could call this habit. You could perhaps even depending on who you're talking to call this ego. You could call this um, in many cases um, simply who we think we are. And the idea that perhaps if we open up a little curiosity that um, are we exactly who we think we are or might we be Uh, something else or something beyond that or something more than that or something a little bit different than that or might we not be only that and if so what might that other thing or place that we might be be Uh, and how does that get defined but I think that the core of the Buddha's teaching is essentially around um You know, I teach one thing, suffering and the cessation of suffering, and around the idea of, well, what are the four noble truths? If we're looking at this from a mindfulness perspective and more of a secular lens, really, what is it like to kind of be able to look at things as they are without having a reactivity around it? So you might call this objectivity. You might call this, in some ways, rationality. Um, And then how do we tie that, if we're able to tap into that, with the heart? with the place of compassion and um, real empathy, that reverberation that we can feel when we're in the presence of another person and we're feeling attuned to them and they're feeling attuned to us. We're not getting lost in them, they're not getting lost in us, we're not enmeshed, there's no boundary violations, but that we're actually in sync and that we're really in this place where um, it's actually quite beautiful. Sometimes it happens making love. Sometimes it happens just looking deeply into someone else's eyes. Um, those things can, of course, happen simultaneously. Um, sometimes it happens when there are just these moments where we find ourselves really witnessing and being with another person in a situation, and, and they're just sort of felt. Um, if you're using Eugene Genlin's philosophy of the felt sense, um, it's really just that way of, of, of checking with your body and and feeling like you're, you're get gotten that you're attuned to that you're in sync with. And this other person is also in sync with you. So this, this whole idea of, of rooting and and re-rooting is sort of fundamental to the idea of having a sense of, well, what, would we be rooting to if we're not exactly who we might think we are, if we have some curiosity about that? You know, all of the the Zen koans are, is that so? Or are you sure? Or beginner's mind, you know, this idea of sort of starting at step one, even if you already know the encyclopedia, you know, inside and out. Um, it invites the question, well, who wrote the encyclopedia? The Encyclopedia Britannica. Oh, Britannica. Mm, what's Britain? Oh, interesting. And you know, you get into these deeper questions around the canon of the knowledge or the information, I should say, that is put out for our consumption is put together by uh, by certain hands, by certain minds. So it's sort of curated. And how does that information then get passed down as, as truth? And how does that jive with our actually lived experience, which was the core of the Buddhist teaching? His His whole idea is around the direct experience of what is it like when you sort of wake up under, as he did the the rose apple tree, and and touch the earth and have it reverberate back in this way I was sharing about the attunement, and really be in sync with you. Yes, I witness you. I witness your experience. I'm here with you. And how systems and structural um, systems of oppression, like colonization, that... uh, very much have impacted many people around the world many cultures many civilizations over time over eons how those can create in psychological language what you might call a rupture and a repair opportunity that lives within us lives within our soma lives within our actual nervous system also so this idea of what does it mean at a very grand level to get curious about who we are and how we came to be and really what are the constructs of our personality? What might we be beyond that? Where and how do we feel separate? To use sort of uh, a topic that, um, you know, mindfulness teacher Tara Brock talks a lot about is this, this sense of separation, this feeling of separation. And then how do we get back to a place of what we might call integration personally for ourselves and our own nervous systems, but also at a greater scale? At a scale when it comes to us being sort of like separate from the earth, and then we have global warming and climate change due to man made factors, um, and that we feel separate from one another. Uh, we all know what it's like to sort of be in this position of othering and being othered from perhaps the way that our hair looks, perhaps because of the clothes we wore, perhaps because of our age, but also more predominantly. Um, very much so in the experience of, for example, people in the United States who don't have lighter white skin privilege just being seen as other because of the color of their skin. Or if it may be something along the lines of a class issue. Well, you're not in our club because you don't have the financial gains or means to do that. Or you have a different sexual orientation or gender identity that I don't understand or I don't agree with even. And I may have a judgment around that that also causes separation or your body may not look exactly the way that I uh, have been told by Western beauty standards that bodies are supposed to look. And therefore, uh, I feel as though it is less than um, and not as good as um, my body or another body that's out there. And so all of these are ways in which we're separated or we end up feeling separated from others and that we continue to kind of reinforce this idea of separation. From one another, from the earth, from the animals, all these kinds of things that I think really can come back to what the root of the Buddha's teaching is really all about, which is suffering and the end of suffering. Because if you're looking at it from a bigger perspective, like a non-dual perspective that we often talk about, which we invite the both and, the and and, not to, not just your personality, not just your bag of skin, not just your age. your social security number but also that how could you not be part of this collective how could there not be a collective cultural wisdom within for example your affinity group if it's a particular culture or background or um, has a history if you're you know Dominican like me there's a certain sort of way in which you might cook or you know have people over the house or things like that Um, but also how is it that we end up being um, you know, someone who has a social security number, as, as, as my mentor Jack Kornfield likes to say, but also someone who is, is very much embedded in this collective consciousness within our social group, say our Dominican cultural social group or something, but then within the whole global or worldly or cosmic consciousness? And what might it be to open up to that? And even if we don't really think it's a thing, which we may not, Don't have to take it on my word or anything like that. Just sort of the idea of, well, could I be more than my brain, right? Which is the idea of having awareness and having the witnesser or the place where we are actually observing the way that we think and feel and, you know, my noticing that I'm actually talking right now, for example, is me not just being merged with the activity of my talking me noticing that, for example, um, I may have a tightness in my chest right now because I'm anxious about recording this podcast, maybe just going with that direct experience of tightness in my body and my chest, but not actually having a panic attack because I'm observing it and I'm witnessing it. So having that dual awareness is important within us so that we might be able to open up to the fact that, well, then who is the watcher? Who is the witnesser? Who is the observer? sort of the core mindfulness teaching there. And then what might it be like to, as Joseph Goldstein likes to say, drop into the knowing that we already are, right? The present moment and inviting in and allowing the reception of what that knowing really is. And ultimately it may still be a mystery, but that we can also kind of rest in that and trust that we may have some access to the Tao, the way, the wisdom of just like the tide knows how to come in and out, just like the sun knows how to come up and down or the earth of course was rotating, but you know, that, that we too can have a certain, a certain kind of relationship and an access to this kind of wisdom. However, because of our conditioning, whether that means, you know what we've inherited epigenetically or whether or not we have had um, more neglectful or more intrusive or abusive childhoods or whether or not we've been exposed to a certain kind of religious philosophy or zealotry as a child um, or a certain kind of school socialization uh, where we had to perform a certain way or be a certain way, that we are conditioned and we learn implicitly what it is that we're supposed to do or not supposed to do. I'm doing air quotes here for the listeners and not the viewers that we may or may not feel like we have access to doing what we would have liked to have done, that there's a, a limitation around that, that we're kind of stuck, if you will, in um, responding in ways that at one time made us really feel safe and did keep us safe, that were are very adaptive, but now perhaps are not functioning so well. So we may have been conditioned to have to bite our tongue and not say anything when we were a child, if we were being abused or something like that, and then later we become someone who doesn't speak up so much but then doesn't get what they want or need because we're not able to articulate what our needs are because it still feels like we would be subjecting ourselves to threat if we were doing that because in the past had we spoken up about it, we might have received more abuse. So that conditioning, that way of, of sort of learning to live in the world, that may be what a lot of us think is just who we are. Um, And so I'm inviting in two things. One is, well, is that really true? Could we be more than that? Or is it just imprinting, meaning it's a learned habit that was once adaptive that isn't so much anymore, that we can be with in much the same way that I'm aware of myself talking right now, our younger parts that have learned these things and now teach a thing its loveliness, so to speak, to quote the, you know, the poet. Um, I think it's Mary Oliver Reteaching teaching a thing. It's loveliness, but I don't really remember precisely. And so we teaching ourselves our loveliness, and that part of that loveliness that is separated out and segregated out through structural systems of power over, which would be often why one at home, for example, might be subjected to abuse. If you're a kid, you're not an adult, you can't defend yourself, that um, that happens societally and structurally also. Um, and so that the, the, the separation and the split can happen within us, but it can also happen as we see right now globally in our societies. We have um, a lot of fissures and that's causing a lot of destruction because we see difference and not uniqueness. We see better than or worse than and not collective humanity. And so the question is, how do we begin to to shift that? What's the invitation to begin to shift that? Do we want to even shift that? Could we even shift that? And I would invite you to consider uh, the possibility that you can, in fact, shift that socially, structurally, but also for yourself internally. And so we're working on multiple levels where the integration happens here inside for us about our own selves and our own sense of, huh, now I can make sense of my own childhood experience a little bit because I can be with the pain and not just be the pain. That's why a lot of people don't like to go back and, you know, sort of feel like they have to process their traumas in a certain way. You'd rather just sort of, um, you know, sort of put it away and kind of exile it to use internal family systems language, like Dick Schwartz says, when in fact, um, that may have been needed for a time. Maybe we did need to turn away, that was a a wise choice. But that now, if we're able to have this being with, then we can kind of come to understand it. And like Dan Siegel talks about, we can create a coherent narrative of of our life. And then we can begin to understand how we've come to be in this very particular way in the world and our uniqueness. And then we can see that everyone has their uniqueness and usually their own story about that. But that's courageous work. It's self-compassionate in terms of being compassionate for these parts of us that are still sort of alive and active, even though they were adapting to um, less than ideal situations oftentimes when when we were younger that, that are still doing this thing that they no longer have to do in the way that they need to do it because we now have some new tools and some new tricks that we can teach them. So the reason why I think I feel like this is important is because as we do some of that work we can invite in the larger sphere of well where did we come from in terms of our beliefs like I was saying earlier on the encyclopedia britannica our beliefs about dominance our 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 beliefs around what's better western beauty standards race you know preferences all these kinds of things where did these come from you know one of the core mindfulness teachings is about well is it you know, aversion? Do I not really want to be with it? Is it uh, sort of craving? Do I want more of it? Or am I just ignorant zoned out? You know, whatever. And, And the unskillful parts of not being aware of that. We're not judging that we may have a push away kind of feeling about certain things or certain groups of people or whatever. We're noticing that we've been conditioned to have that response. We're not noticing, I mean, we're not judging whether or not it's good or bad that we crave wanting to be with, for example, a particular racial group um, over others, but that we can notice it and that it's in the noticing that then we can begin to question whether or not there was some programming that went into that, that we can begin to question and kind of uproot perhaps. Um, Because it feeds, it's the gasoline on which our feeling of separation and isolation lives. Because implicit in that is a dominance and anothering and we become other to ourselves, um, we become other to others, even if we're in a dominant position, and it can kind of fester, there can be like neuroses that, that can fester around that. Um, a lot of shame, a lot of feelings of not being good enough, a lot of unworthiness. Um, and a lot of that can be, you know, inherited uh, in much the same way that um, we can inherit, You know, our physical traits, for example, you know, the color of our eyes or, you know, the shape of our nose and and things like that from our ancestors. So what would it look like to maybe use some of the tools to move into self-understanding at a deeper level? And I think that the invitation is, as some people who are in positions of power and privilege, whether or not they realize they're in positions of power or privilege or not, but just based on social constructs around white body supremacy, Mm, just colonial, you know ideology, um, that that folks might be able to sort of move into a place of looking at where did they come from. Like, for example, my ancestors came from Italy, on my mother's side, and they left because of poverty. like they left because they didn't have any jobs. And um you know, when the Irish came, when you know Jews came, people came for reasons that that were not pleasant reasons. And yet um, there's a particular way in which these groups, um, religious groups, cultural groups, ethnic groups, um, were able to assimilate into Western society in a way that other groups who have dark skin haven't been able to do based on uh, the way in which racism and chattel slavery has been uh, implemented and the ramifications and repercussions of that uh, continue to play out socially for millions of people. And, you know, there's sort of a, a, a an open question. A lot of papers have been written around it, like sort of, you know, when the Italians or the Jews or the Irish became white. And and it's sort of like, well, what does that mean that we became white? Or, you know, what what were we when we weren't, so to speak? Meaning when race wasn't, the defining construct of our identity or our personality or the way we came to know ourselves. What did we do? Did we do step dancing? Did we make, you know, home cooked meals and roll out the pasta around the table and do knitting back in the village in Italy where my family's from in Piacenza? Did we, you know, what were the rituals? What were the things that oftentimes in this nuclearization of the family in Western culture, where we live in these big McMansions on these cul-de-sacs? Um, on land that uh, wasn't even ours, belongs to the indigenous First Nations, uh, Native American peoples who, people who were colonizers invaded and attempted to eradicate um, and all of the different nations there. It's not just one nation. There's, you know, dozens of um, indigenous people uh, in this country. And then of course, you know, there's nations from Canada and nations um, below what are the delineations of the markers of the, of the United States. How is it that we might kind of start to unpack, well, where did we come from and how did we get here? And, you know, if you're not one of the people who was on the Mayflower, you have a, an invitation to kind of say, well, well, you know, did my parents, like my great grandparents, they came from Ellis Island, came through Ellis Island. What was that about? What was that experience about? If we're African American, um, what is the history of uh, slavery in this country and uh, how am I impacted by that? If I wasn't born here uh, as an African American, but I have darker skin, what does it mean to be a Caribbean Black American? And and how does that impact uh, the way in which people see me, even though I may not see myself in the same way? Or if I'm African, so I have black skin, but I come to the United States, what does that mean? And for the onus to really be on people who are in positions of constructed power, lighter white skin privilege, white body supremacy holders to do more work around starting to dig back to what is my social location? What is my position? Am I a cisgendered, heterosexual, lighter white skinned male? Uh, with a college education, with a six-figure job who doesn't really think about whether or not it's okay for me to speak at a board meeting, whereas another person of color or a woman might actually have to, or someone who's trans or someone who's gay, they might have a different way of relating to that kind of a situation based on their experience, which isn't to say that everyone who has who's in a non-dominant position, uh, you know, suffers from trauma or, or overt marginalization. However, I'm just doing broad strokes here, is that um, oftentimes we can look at our position of privilege and then those who are holding the most privilege can then become allies and partners for those who have uh, been systemically excluded from accessing greater privilege over time uh, based on the systems that have been set up in this country and, and and in various ways. And we see policies being undone that have been helpful, and we see policies currently being further enacted that are that are not helpful. Um, and you know let's face it, if you do the work on understanding the history of, of, for example, chattel slavery in the United States, you realize how even though slavery may have been abolished at a certain period of time and people might say that it's quote unquote behind us, that the repercussions of what the legislatively, um, the way that there was gerrymandering and, 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 and redlining and, 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 I mean, lynching and Jim Crow laws, all of these things that have continued to impact the African-American population here in this country, that it sets us up for this um, real invitation to, to really understand um, what the dynamics are as opposed to just say, well, that's in the past. So, there are different classes out there. I've interviewed a lot of the folks on this podcast, like Patty Dye does a racism class, anti-racism, understanding racism. Dr. Joy DeGruy, whom I've not interviewed, does a 10-week course, 11-week course now, on um, really understanding the history of um, <laughs> people of color in this country. And uh, another class that's offered by White Awake um, is about Kind of going back and understanding well, where did I come from if I do hold privilege. Um, what was it like to uh, you know have to leave Italy you know from my family and, and come this way and, and what did that mean and how did I adopt these ideals of working hard and and it's up to me and I have to get an education and that kind of thing which is sort of the the libertarian sort of John Wayne western narrative that I can do it by myself I can pull myself up by my own bootstraps when In fact, a lot of systemic and structural institutions have limited um, people's access to boots. So how can you have bootstraps? And then what can we do about it? And how does that help us? So this is about collective liberation. Because if we're looking at, um, for example, Mudita, the uh, appreciative joy uh, teaching of the Buddha, it's shared joy. It means if you're happier, I'm happier. There's just more happiness all around. It's not about envy, like, oh, gee, well, if we give here and we give back here, or if I start to feel into, oh, you know, how have I inherited stuff that I didn't earn just because I have light skin or white skin, um, you know, I, I don't want to have to, like, give that up or something, or, or I don't want to have to feel bad because we're in a comfort culture, right? So we don't have a very good uh, distress tolerance overall, which is why I think, in my opinion, there's just so much addiction which again goes back to the Buddhist craving but that if we can reconnect with what that's all about then we satisfy the longing because we're connected there's no need when there's no feeling of separation anymore Uh, there's no need to have to fill that hole with something else because you're you're already there you're already connected So you have the self-understanding, and you do the work of understanding how you came to be this way, and you do the work of understanding the circumstances of a greater number of people, and you can say, Oh, really? Yeah, we're all we're all in this together, and how that can be the antidote, in my opinion, in my view, to really this sort of neuroses and this feeling of shame and this feeling of, you know this existential angst, if you will, that so many of us feel. It can be a bit of a satisfaction to the, to the longing. I mean, the longing is the craving for, for unity, but it's that we can tap into that and that that collective liberation um, in very much an embodied and lived and a social justice kind of a way can help pave the way for our own personal satisfaction, right? I you know, for me, it's definitely given me a big sense of purpose and even in the days when I feel crappy, Um, I'm like, well, you know, I feel like I'm on a better path and I have better tools. And I feel like I am able to connect with more people in a wider swath of people in a different way than I ever could before I started doing any of this work, before I had an opportunity to even know, um, that this was the work that I could do, um, and was urged to do, um. It's really been a game-changer. So I guess in closing, this has sort of been very general, Um, I guess what I'd like to just leave with is this idea of being rooted. When we really feel rooted and tethered to the ground of it, not on it, and to one another, connected, not separate, we don't feel so bad. This idea of shame, this self-contempt, is just as self-absorbed as the grandiosity and narcissism that we see some of our political leaders demonstrating and and others, perhaps in our own family or wherever else, because it's, it's, it's unilaterally about me. Either I'm blaming myself or I'm blaming someone else. But when you kick into the piece of, well, we're all in this together, I'm not the only one who's suffering or when you take away this, I have to be better than, or I am less than someone else, then there's no hierarchy that needs to be upheld. When you just have a respect for your own uniqueness, your own unique pattern of conditioning. Yeah, I came to be this way. I'm not defective. I'm just unique. I'm not different just because of social constructs. Say I'm different or whatever it is. I'm not, I'm not less than, um, but I am unique, but I'm also very much at the core, um, the same as everyone else and leaning into that I think really can open up a big portal for our own healing our own well-being and um, I don't know I think that's the invitation that's on the table right now for our times I think that as these um, election cycles kick in as we go out there and think about you know who are we going to vote for who represents our values my values it's helpful if we really understand ourselves and even question how we came to have the ideas and thoughts that we have come to have and and realize that there's a way that we can do a both and in terms of we can be working on ourselves and we can also recognize that we're all resting in this large space of collective awareness and we can do actions to help others and we can in doing that perhaps benefit from the sense of satisfaction that we get with being generous even through the distressing work of maybe doing some of this anti-racism work or you know some of the work around checking our implicit biases around sexuality or gender or gender orientation things like that so I'm gonna leave it there for now. Um, I'd love your feedback. Feel free to email me uh, if you like, or leave a comment here. But it's just an invitation. This is not a calling out, it's a calling in. And um, I think Greta Thunberg has done quite a remarkable job of of doing that around the climate issues. And she's even had to take her lumps around that from people who can be bullies. And um, I would invite us to not feel like we have to bully ourselves. And that if we can be kind to our experience and our uh, understanding our behavior a little bit more, and we can be the witness to that, then we can eventually get to a place where we can just drop into the knowing of our collective wisdom and perhaps um, find ourselves out of the bit of a mess, I think, sometimes that we as humans uh, get ourselves into uh, locally and also um you know, structurally and globally. That's it. Thanks for watching and for listening. And my website is um, maximaclarity.com. If you'd like to find out more, reach out, take care, be well.